You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, the Peter character in that story uh, really messed things up, didn't he? Probably sitting there wondering if he was ever going to get his old life back, right? Wondering if he had missed out on a life that was before him, on a life that he could have seen before that fateful night. We find the disciples in that same place in the story we're looking at in John chapter 20 today. Uh, But before we get there, I do want to ask, have you ever been in that place where you feel like you are missing out on something? I don't know about you, but going way back, I would see friends that were off in the distance kind of talking, and, and I would wonder what they were talking about. Have you ever had that feeling? Maybe you've got a workplace, and, and there's a meeting that's been called, and you, and you weren't invited to be a part of the meeting, and you're like, I um, wonder what that's all about. You know, right? And you're, you're scrolling through your social media, and you're seeing all of these different experiences that people are having, all these relationships and, and places that they're going, and you're like, man, that'd be really nice. Isn't that a universal experience that we have? It's called fear of missing out. It's becoming a very popular acronym for texting. Uh, I don't do a lot of hashtagging, but I I guess hashtag FOMO is on the rise. And uh, FOMO is also in quite a few memes now. I'm starting to uh, learn what a meme is. I actually misunderstood what those were. Yeah, KJ's laughing at me. But FOMO has a definition on Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. And what we understand fear of missing out to be is a pervasive, apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. The social angst is characterized by a desire to stay continually connected with what others are doing. Do you ever feel like sometimes that whenever those notifications are going off, you're like, hmm, and that's got to be an email, or that's got to be an Instagram notification, or that's got to be a text message that I need to read right now. It can't wait five minutes because I might be missing out on something. Now, there's a good missing out. There's a good fear of missing out. There's a good kind of FOMO, and I believe it's the FOMO surrounding experiences with God, surrounding a relationship with God. How many of you hear of other people who are having uh, this experience with God? They talk about a devotional life that's just off the charts or worship experiences that are amazing, and you're thinking, hmm, my time in the scriptures don't feel like that. What am I missing? Am I doing something wrong? What is it that's causing them to have those experiences? You look through the biblical narrative and you see Moses has this experience at the burning bush, right? And Peter gets, or Paul gets knocked off his horse and talks to the risen Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I had a dramatic conversion experience, but I didn't see the risen Jesus Christ in that counselor's office that morning when I came to faith. So part of me, something inside of me still thinks, what am I still missing out on? What is it that there is to know about, to experience with God that I still am not experiencing? The story in John chapter 20 today is going to show us, it's going to reveal to us a God who wants to be found. A God who does not want us to continue on with our FOMO experience toward him. We're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 19 to 25 to start us off. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. 
Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy and they saw the Lord. And he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas lived in America. He'd be from the show me state, right? (laughs) Now you're gonna have to show me. I'm gonna have to see that with my own eyes. So what is it that Thomas was missing out on by not being there at this resurrection appearance of Jesus with the other disciples? Well, there's five things I want to look at. I think uh, we could agree there's probably more, but straight from this text, we see five things that Thomas missed out on that day by not being there and that we very likely are missing out on if we don't have this relationship with the resurrected Christ. The first one is peace. Jesus says it twice. He's going to say it again later on in the story. Peace be with you. Now, it was a very common saying among the Jews of the day. In fact, Jewish people, uh, faithful Jewish people to this day will say, peace be upon you, and the other will reply, and upon you be peace. And they use the word shalom. The Bible talks about this peace that surpasses understanding. Paul wrote that we could receive that through prayer. Earlier on in John's gospel, Jesus says, the peace I give you is not like a peace you can get in the world. You will be you will receive many trials and tribulations, but take heart for I have overcome the world. I am here to bring you a peace that is the only cure for the disease of fear. It says it right there in the text. The disciples were afraid. They were behind locked doors. They were hunkered down and they were scared. They didn't know what to do. I'm sure that they were praying but they were afraid. Jesus comes in and he says quite a few things. We're gonna go on with what he also, he said, but he said, peace be with you twice. You see, Jesus understood that trouble and conflict is going to come right at every follower of his, but that we could hold on to a peace. In fact, the only way that we could remain faithful to him and accomplish the things that he's called us to do is with, fighting fear through the peace that he offers us. He just speaks it over them. Peace be with you. He doesn't give them uh, a manual. Here's a peace manual. Follow page two, and then you, if you get that down, move to page three. Like it's some sort of formula. He speaks it over them. Jesus knows, okay, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm alive. Believe this and hear me say to you, peace be with you. The second thing we see is joy. They are excited to see Jesus alive. I don't know about you, but um, I have a difficult time when troubles come at me in my life. Just everyday life, little stuff, frustrating things really, will rob me of my joy just like that. And the, the, the frown comes on, you know, the upside down smile. And I'm just 
not all of that fun to be around when I lose my joy. And I'm reading this text this week and I'm thinking to myself, man, it takes so little to rob me of my joy. I could say that I don't lose my peace. I don't ever lose assurance of salvation. I know Jesus is there intellectually, but my joy is gone. I saw a meme, KJ, with Mel Gibson. Now this is no shot at Mel Gibson. I don't know him personally, but I love this meme with, joy, with Mel Gibson about joy. That moment when you try to explain to Jesus how hard your life has been lately. <laughs> That's the way I feel sometimes when I really am able in my pity party that I'm having all by myself to think, wow, Jesus probably feels really bad for me right now. <laughs> you know, especially on Holy Week when he's preparing to go to the cross and bear the sin of the world. He's probably really sympathizing with us being short on our taxes, with our kids being difficult, with Jesus is offering not only peace, he's offering us a joy that in the midst of those troubles, frustrations, even little irritations of life that we can hold on to. Now, I don't know, I love it when you see kids excited. This week, the ice cream man has decided to start coming down our street every day. Thanks, ice cream man. But have you ever seen a kid when they start to hear the, the dings like two streets down? Ice cream man, ice cream man. And we're scrounging for change because we don't carry cash anymore, right? But they're just, they've got this joy, right? About ice cream. I was remembering other joyful experiences I had and I was recalling when I proposed to my wife, Caitlin. She was joyful. That was a moment she'll probably never forget. When you see people who are really, really caught up in their athletic team and their athletic team wins some huge game, right? Right? Now take all of those experiences and I guarantee you they don't add up together to equal what these disciples were feeling in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Amen? He's alive. This changes everything. We are no longer afraid. We have that peace and we're excited that Jesus is alive. The, next, the third thing that you see is mission. If you are going through life and you feel like one of the kind of buzzwords is, you know, do you have purpose for your life? Rick Warren wrote the book, uh, Purpose Driven Life. We talk a lot about purpose. And a lot of us think maybe that our purpose is wrapped up in, you know, relationships or family. You know, well, I've been called to be a dad or a, and a husband. And a lot of us think that our purpose is to, to have some vocational experience to rise the corporate ladder to accomplish a lot in whatever field of study. Maybe it's a hobby. I've got a friend right now at the gym that it looks like his purpose is to be on the lake every day that he's not working for the next four months. Do you see what I'm saying? We've got, what is our purpose in life? The purpose in the life of every follower of Jesus is to fulfill the mission that Jesus fulfilled when the father sent him. This is John's account of the Great Commission. In Matthew, it's go forth and make disciples. In John's account, it's as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. I am sending you to go proclaim the good news that God loves them, that God forgives them, that God wants to live within them, that God breaks the chains of bondage that people are succumbed to. That is, every one of us gets to do that. And we look in our life for these 
Like we look for mission and purpose. Get involved into the lives of people who are hurting and broken and lost and disturbed and confused and helpless. And I'm telling you, it doesn't take long to find those people. If we're honest with ourselves, at times we are those people and get into their lives and bring the good news of Jesus that you've found. That's our mission. There is a guy on campus now. um, His name is Mike Sharp, and he uh, came to church at the center about a year ago, came to faith, and then was walking through the parking lot back here, and he looked over, and he hadn't been in church in years, and he was coming to, he actually came to the Lord in, in jail, and then he looked over, and he's like, well, there's a church right next to my house. I probably should go in there if I'm gonna, if I do this following Jesus thing, and uh, I was talking to him about his faith, and I was hearing about how he shares his faith with everybody over here, even people who don't want to hear about it, and I'm like, Mike, what, what compels you to do that? What causes you to wake up in the morning and think that everybody needs to hear about Jesus? And he said, if I don't, I just know that if they don't know this Jesus, then they don't know what they're missing. They don't know what they're missing out on. And I need to tell them. Mike is a great blessing to have on campus here for us. The third thing, or the fourth thing is the Holy Spirit. Before Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is said to fall on the church, on more believers than even this, and launch this thing that is called Christianity that we are here to worship today. Before all of that happened, in this account, he breathes the Holy Spirit on his followers. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now I was praying this week about what is it that I could talk about in terms that we could like understand experientially about the Holy Spirit because you got the fruit of the Spirit, Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Our kids know it because they learn it at Grow to Know Preschool. They can sing it, right? I see some nods to parents from Grow to Know. But, but in prayer, I think what really God wanted me to share today is that the Holy Spirit, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive assurance. Like you know so deeply in your soul that Jesus is alive, that it changes the way you live. Those first followers of Jesus were acting absolutely crazy. They lived like they believed that there was a man who came, who was God in the flesh, who taught and healed and ticked off a bunch of religious leaders and got himself crucified, rose from the dead, and now is alive in heaven at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, sending his Holy Spirit to us, to comfort us in our pain, to convict us of our sin, and to compel us to do the mission. And that assurance causes us to not only change the way we live, but to see death in a completely different way. I was wondering if Stephen, from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, Stephen gets stoned in that chapter, and I was wondering if maybe Stephen was one of the guys up in the room during this appearance. Because he died like he really believed this. Not hunkered down, with the stones flying, it is said, it is recorded that he looked up to heaven and said, I see Jesus. Can you imagine dying like that? That's the, when you receive the Holy Spirit, that is the kind of assurance that God wants you to have. He is with you in this life, and that he's, he is even with you in death, that he has conquered death, and that you will conquer death. That's assurance. How do these things sound to you guys? Peace, joy, mission, 
I should, yeah, Clint, thanks. I'm getting some woo, woo, woo. Remind me of the Ar- Arsenio holidays. Okay, so what is the fifth thing, though? There's a fifth thing that we see that Thomas missed out on that day, and that is forgiveness. The message of forgiveness. In a bold statement, Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins of any, they are withheld. What is Jesus talking about? Does that mean that we can walk around and just, okay, you're forgiven? That's not what he's saying. He is saying that we now carry this epic, world-shaking mission that people can be forgiven. That not only can people be forgiven, this thing can be planted inside of us that's completely counter to how we operate normally, that we actually want to start forgiving others. Not that we just forgive others and do it begrudgingly or tell them that we've forgiven them and then remind them of it all the time. That's the way a lot of us forgive. But really want to forgive. Now, I believe that the only way that that type of passion toward forgiving others their sins against us is by realizing and understanding and receiving the forgiveness that God has given us. And I I think, some of you maybe heard me say this, I think in the life of a Christian that forgiveness is the absolute hardest thing there is to do. It's harder than getting up every morning and reading your Bible. It's harder than getting your behind out to do some, some good works inside the church and outside the church. It's harder than remembering to pray. It's harder than, not, harder than not losing your temper. And why is that? Why is forgiveness so hard for us? Well, it stands to reason because it was the hardest thing that God ever had to do. The most difficult thing God has ever done in the history of his creation is forgive. It cost his son his life. So why is it hard for us? Because it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us our right to judge someone else. It's going to cost us our pride. Forgiveness is a, is a topic so important that as a church, we're going to spend four weeks on it in the next four weeks. We're going to do a series called Forgiveness, and we want to invite you to take those uh, bookmarks that are in your bulletins. Use that as an invitation to people um, in your life that you would like to see come back for this series. We're going to be looking into why forgive, what are the steps to forgiveness? What does forgiveness mean? What does it not mean? So we hope that you'll join us for that. Well, let's jump back into the story because the last thing we read was, was Thomas saying, I'm not believing this unless I see it with my own eyes. So what happens next? Eight days later, the disciples were together again and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. There's the third, peace be with you. He said, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Do not be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. So how many of you have heard the phrase doubting Thomas? Whenever you hear most, not very many, wow. Doubting Thomas, he gets that rap because of this passage right here. And he gets, in my opinion, little bit of a hard time that he doesn't totally deserve. How many of us, if we're honest, would possibly have had the same reaction that Thomas did when everybody's telling him they saw it? Yeah, yeah, we would, most of us, if we're honest. Earlier on in the account of the gospel narrative, Thomas actually is the one that says, Jesus, let's go to Jerusalem now. Let's go take, let's go storm the castle. (laughs) 
he was all up in the, this idea that they were going to do something huge. So Thomas had a doubting moment, no doubt. But Thomas ends up staying with community, staying with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, he might have thought that they were just bat crazy and he had nowhere else to go. Maybe he didn't have a place to stay. I don't know. The point is, if you didn't notice in the text, eight days went by before the first appearance in the story and the second appearance when Thomas is there. Thomas stayed in community. He stuck with it and he said, you know what? I may not see, believe it until I see it with my own eyes, but you know what? If I'm going to see Jesus, I'm going to need to be around some people who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who pray to Jesus, and who saw Jesus before. The best place for me to put myself is going to be around you guys and girls. And so he does that. He does that, and by sticking in community, by being around faithful followers of Jesus, he becomes blessed with this experience that we read to this day, this experience where Jesus says, okay, you need to see me? Here I am. Here I am, Thomas. Do you believe now? What do you think that would have been like for the other ones in the room that had seen him the other time and maybe even seen Jesus in other accounts in the Gospels? There's hundreds of people that are recorded to have seen the risen Christ. Now this idea of experiencing Jesus more in community than privately runs against our American formed hyper-individualistic experience. It just runs counter to it and head to head with it. Because we sometimes think that what is a personal faith is actually a private faith when we kind of hold our Jesus to our vest and we have our private devotional time, we come to church and worship services and we might go to a Bible study, but really nobody knows us, right? You can be in a room of a few people and you can be in a room with a hundred people and not one of them know who you really are, what you truly struggle with, where you've been in your past, where you want to go in your future. You're present in community, but you're not known. We have a personal faith that's individual to us. We see that in the story. Jesus does bless Thomas with this individual one-on-one conversation and uh, appearance, but he does it in community. He does it with the other disciples there. When you look at throughout the scriptures, you cannot find a time, even in the accounts where God appears to Moses one-on-one, What is Moses asked to do immediately? Go get the community, right? Go get the community and then make a community. God, on virtually every case of appearing in his glory, with his presence here on earth, does so to a community of people, to a group of people. I really feel like this story is a lot less about Thomas's doubt and a whole lot more about how Jesus chooses to reveal himself to us, each and every one of us. 
And it could be today, if you are missing out, if you have this fear of missing out on a relationship with God, on experiences with God, on not having the assurance that you feel like God would want you to have, of not having that peace and that joy or a mission and purpose in life, if those things are missing in your life, it's likely they're missing because you haven't done what Thomas did in the second half of this story and commit yourself to being among the people of God who are experiencing those things. That is the place to put yourself if you have a fear of missing out on an experience and relationship with God. Now, as soon as I say that, I'll have to admit that this whole experiencing the risen Christ is not a formula. There is no, nothing I can tell you that's going to guarantee when and where God will show up. Why do I, as a spiritual leader, have to sit in my office behind this wall like I have recently and talk to somebody who says, I just don't know if I even know. I've been in the church for decades, and I still am not even sure I believe this. Mark, I, I come and I do the things, and why is God not showing up? Why do I not get the experience Thomas had? Now, if you're ready to get, this is tweetable. Okay, this is huge. This is the big answer. Why? The why answer for Christianity. I don't know. I don't. But here's what I do know. I do know that in experience over 2,000 years in the Christian church and in the scriptures themselves, the best place to put yourself to experience the risen Christ is around other Christians and is in community. And I do know from the scriptures that God wants to be found. God is not dodging you. He is not elusive. He isn't running the other direction. Oftentimes we run, God never runs. There's a few passages, Jeremiah 29, the prophet says that if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus teaches that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. In James 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, these are promises that, that we just have to step into. Have you heard the term step of faith? You've got to step into these promises and put yourself in community. Now, oftentimes we don't do that, and we look a little bit more like uh, the McNelly beloved family dog, Lily. Let's show Lily up on her perch, or sorry, her throne. That's Princess Lily. She's a little long-haired chihuahua, and Lily seems in the midst of her cush life with all of the food and water she wants, all of the love kids playing with her and loving on her, neighbors coming over just to play with her. She chooses when she's in the backyard and not on her leash to escape. She's a runner. Does she look like a runner? Show her in the backyard. What's the next picture? There she is. She's looking out over the other yard right there. That was just a candid shot. So Lily, with everything that she could want, she's got peace and security in our home. She's got the joy of a family that loves her. She's got assurance of our love for her. We forgive her when she does horrible things. Now, she doesn't have mission and purpose. She's a dog. But, okay, pet lovers, don't play. I know. Okay. I'll just leave that. But last year, she got out in the summer, and she was gone overnight. Yeah, it was brutal. And she came back, and she was losing her hair, and she had this don't know what she had going on. We took her to the vet, but she was scratching really hard. She was a mess. 
Now, last week, she got out, went two doors down, and went in the, the dog or cat door of our neighbor and got in their house. And then she had the runs for two days. She must have eaten cat food. I don't know. Or maybe that family eats off of their floor. I don't, I don't know. The point of this story is, oftentimes, we see the grass is greener on the other side. We think we're missing out on something that's out there for us. In your life before Christ and maybe even after Christ, you, you, want, you want to feel pleasure that people talk about, that people put on social media. And so you, you taste and you see and you feel things that you know you shouldn't because you, that's what you want. You want assurance and love. You want to feel that deep sense of connection with someone. And so you jump from relationship to relationship to relationship. And in those moments, we are doing what Lily does every time we keep her off of her leash. You're leaving the peace, the joy, the assurance, and the community of people who love you to experience things that pull you and draw you further and further from God. So we're going to look at one final verse of the story The story finishes up by Jesus telling Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. There's a twist. Now, most of us in the room were thinking Thomas got it better than we did, right? That we missed out on something and that Thomas got to experience something that every one of us would love to experience. Jesus just said, no, he turned that on its head And he said, blessed are every one of you and me in this room for believing without seeing. The celebration of, I love how KJ did the, he is risen. He's risen indeed. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today, the God-man who was dead and came to life to defeat hell and sin and Satan and even death. And my challenge to you is to get in community, put yourself in position to experience the risen Christ. And my question for you is, do you want peace, joy, mission, assurance, and forgiveness? Yes. Yes. How many of us want that? You'll find it in community. That's where the risen Jesus is.